Let's, let's pray together this morning. Father, we come before you and we, we recognize that you have indeed been wonderful to us. You treat us so well. Your grace is so abundant and, and we come just rejoicing in you, rejoicing in the gospel this morning, rejoicing together as the body of Christ. We come and just recognize, Father, you, you are providentially caring for, for us daily, even hourly. Uh, we recognize your grace in the rain, in the snow, in the heat, in the cold, at all moments, the food on our tables and uh, clothes that we have and everything. We recognize that it is your grace. It is you. You are the one providing for us all these things. Yes, there are trucks that are driving and taking food here and there and, and all these things, but we recognize behind everything is your caring, providing hand. And so we come just thanking you that you give and you give to those who have rebelled against you, who have not sought you, who have not loved you and have sinned and, and turned away from you. And so we just, we just come, Lord, with so many reasons to rejoice and be thankful today. And we come and just recognize that you are wonderful to us. We thank you and we pray as we recognize the greatest wonder of all, your son and your sending of your son to come to die for us. We thank you and we look to you as this morning we turn to your word, which you have provided also. You have revealed yourself to us. Mercies all around. And so help us, Lord, to look to your word. May it be a lamp to our feet and our light to our path. May you lead us. May you guide us. May you transform us by your word and your spirit this morning. Help us, Father, as I so often pray and even plead for myself that we would not and I would not just simply hear your word and just go away and act like nothing at all happened, that I didn't hear it or didn't read it or I didn't, you know, hear your word uh, that very moment. And so may, may all of us come and be ready to receive it, even as your word gets really deep at times we come and just pray for your hand and your grace upon our minds, upon our hearts, upon our lives. May you work in us and may you open the eyes of the blind. May you soften hard hearts. May you help the lost to be found. Amen. And so we pray you bless our service, even as you already have. And may you, may you bless the other services all around the world as our other brothers and sisters in Christ are gathering to worship you. And so help us, Lord, and we pray, glorify your name this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. If you would, go ahead and turn your Bibles to the Gospel of John. And we will be in John chapter 17, verses 1 through 5 this morning. Now last week, if you were here... We ended chapter 16 
And uh, even if you weren't here, you can just kind of look up there in your Bibles. You can see, you know, where it ended there. But it, it ended with triumphant and victorious words. And so the words there that ended, Jesus, he said in John 16, 33, In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Praise the Lord. And even as we ended last week, rejoicing in him who has overcome the world, just continue that heart this morning because it is right from there we go into John 17 here. Now before we kind of, you know, get through or at least where we're headed in the Gospel of John is right now we... We're kind of, we have before us this kind of great dam, you know. You know, the water is safely contained, you know, within the dam. You know, everything's kind of good right now. It's rather calm, or at least seems rather calm, you know. And so everything's going mostly well. And yet, at the same time, we know as we've been walking through this gospel the cracks have already begun, haven't they? Just one after another and these cracks. And so we've seen them in this gospel. We've, we've seen that when Jesus, he healed on the Sabbath. And wow, what a crack begun, began there. So crack number one, right down the dam. And then Jesus, he goes on and he, he teaches Words of life. And he, he tells everyone and all. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then what happens? Another massive crack on the dam. And he says, before Abraham was, I am. Amen. And they are not happy. And so comes more cracks. The raising of Lazarus. And the religious leaders, not happy. They are, to put it, mildly upset by these things. So crack after crack. And then also Judas betrays Jesus. And so all of these cracks, one after another. And so now following, or at least as we will see following this prayer in John 17, what happens? The dam breaks. Jesus' prayer here in this chapter is really kind of like the, the final calm before all the cracks cause this dam to just break and everything is just overtaken by the deluge of the water that is to come. And so here we have, though, this morning, the calm before that breaking of the dam. And so let's look then at this prayer beginning in verse 1 of chapter 17. May God bless his God-glorifying word. Amen. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said... Father, 
the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given Him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given Him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So I don't know about you, but as this farewell discourse is coming to an end, you know, I'm, I'm left kind of wanting more, you know, We've heard Jesus and his words and how wonderful and, and yet kind of perplexing they, they are as well at the same time. And, and so we've heard all of them and, and we, we just kind of come to the end and, you know, he's coming into this prayer and we're just like, man, I want to I wanna learn more from Christ. I want to I hear more from him. I want to sit more at his feet. I want to learn from him and hear from him all the more. I don't know if you're like that after having walked through this farewell discourse like I am, you know, just kind of longing for that. But in truth, even as we've seen, you know, we do hear more, don't we? We have, and we have more, don't we? We have our New Testaments. We have our Bibles here. And so he has indeed given us more. And so we do have more with the Bible. Yet, Jesus' prayer here, they will be his last words before the dam breaks, and from there on is the cross, and to the cross he goes. And yet, even as that's the case, you know, Jesus, he's, he's not taken aback by the cross. And he doesn't back away from the cross. Instead, what he does is he prays for it. He prays for the cross to come. And so he prays, as we see here in verses 1 through 4, that all glory go to or goes to God. He prays that all glory goes to God. Now, before we kind of look directly at this, we behold here first this weighty and wonder-filled prayer of Jesus. So the weighty, wonderful, or wonder of Jesus' prayer. And so with, with Jesus' prayer here, it's as though, you know, we're, we're going back there among all the disciples and kind of just listening in as the Lord prays. You know, so it's kind of like, you know, you're sitting there and, or whatever you're doing and you're bowing there and you see perhaps, you know, squinting as sometimes you do. I know you do it when you're praying. You know, you kind of look up or like wonder, are they praying over there? Do they have their head bowed? You know, are they, why are they making so much noise over there? You know, whatever, you know, whatever's going on, you look up and you're squinting or whatever. Well, maybe, you know, they do that here and, and as they do, what you would see there is Jesus, he lifts up his eyes to heaven. And so he's, he's looking 
to God and he's praying. And so he's lifting up his eyes to the Father. And so with this kind of seeing this and seeing Jesus do this, there's this confidence about him. There's a blamelessness. There's a, a kind of intimacy to Jesus' prayer. And that, in contrast to another person in Scripture, you know, as Jesus, he, he tells in Luke 18 of the tax collector. And do you remember how the tax collector, how he prays? Well, let me read it for you. Luke 18, 13. Jesus says, But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I think this is part of the the difference that we're seeing here with Jesus. It, you know, it makes me think of our, our children even, or even of myself when I was a child. You know, you know, what would you do when you were in trouble, right? You know, maybe your mom or dad, they'd catch you doing something, you know? And now you're looking at them face to face, you know? Or maybe it was what is your mom and dad as your teacher. I mean, what are you usually kind of doing, you know? Yeah. I know, you know, whatever, you're, you know, maybe you're, maybe you're looking around trying to avoid their eye, you know, but we kind of get this practically that we, we do this ourselves, you know, we look down, you know, for a variety of reasons, but, you know, certainly some sense of being ashamed, you know, personally, I didn't want to face the kind of punishment that was coming or the guilt that from what I had done. And, you know, that's not even, it's not the only place we do that, though, right? You know, if you think back in the beginning of the Bible, right, who else did something like this? Adam and Eve. But they they didn't just look down. What did they do? They they hid themselves. You know, what's funny, though, is we, we may not be, you know, children anymore. Maybe we are, and we, you know, still maybe you do that. But I think as adults, we kind of do that as well. We just kind of hide it a little bit better, you know. That way no one else knows what we're doing. We can hide it awfully well. Yet Jesus here, though, he prays. He prays to God with no shame, no guilt, no speck of unrighteousness whatsoever. He comes blameless before God and and so he just prays confidently before the Father. And his prayer begins with one simple word. And if you're not careful, you might have missed it. I think perhaps, you know, we can get so used to the church and and life in the church that you can just kind of miss it. But what is that word he begins with? He just begins with the word Father. And so he he prays to the Father. Now this this may not be something that you can do. What do I mean by that? Well, if you don't know Christ, you do not know the Father. You don't know God. And so even, even though you may pray it to God, you don't know. Know him, and he doesn't know you either. 
So this kind of language, it is not for you if you don't know Christ. I mean, you could, you could say it, sure, but it doesn't, you're not saying it because you really know God. It is only in knowing Christ for us who know Christ that we confidently come based on His blamelessness. We can pray to the Father with our eyes looking up and say, Father, not because of my blamelessness. I'm not blameless. It's Christ. And Christ alone. And and so we can do even as Romans says and cry out, Abba, Father, And so if you know Him, if you know Christ, this is indeed our model for prayer. I don't know how you pray. Maybe it's God, maybe it's Father, maybe it's Jesus, maybe it's something. But we we have here our model for prayer. And this is exactly what Jesus teaches us, doesn't He? I mean, He tells us in what? The Lord's Prayer as well. We see this, don't we? And so he says in Matthew 6, 9, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Or even just look a little bit over in John 16, 23, and what does he say there too? He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. And so we see this kind of pattern in prayer, of pattern in Scripture all over the place that you pray to the Father. Now, this doesn't mean that you aren't allowed to pray to Jesus or even to the Spirit of God, but our normal pattern for prayer is praying to the Father through the Son by the Spirit of God. Amen. Because why? Because we know Him. This is, I am the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So you glory in that kind of praying. I can pray to you, Father. I can say, Father, and I have access to you through Christ. And as I'm praying, the Spirit of God is in me and helping me and giving me grace to pray. Did you know that's what's going on when you pray to God? as a Christian. And so, with his eyes lifted up to heaven, praying to the Father, he prays expressly in view of the centrality of the cross in glorifying the Son and the Father. So he, he prays in view of the centrality of the cross in glorifying the Son and the Father. And so we see that in verses 1 through 2 and also in verse 4. And so he, he prays there in verse 1. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Now, the word there, glorify, I mean, wow, there's, there's a lot there we could you know, think about here. And so um, with that word, it kind of generally means, at least kind of in this context, you know, it entails like honoring, you know, exalting, lifting up, which we've heard in the Gospel of John as well, like when the Son of Man is lifted up. But lifting up and even 
can entail like adoration and love even, but the question here is, is, is this what Jesus is talking about here? Well, the answer is kind of yes and no. The glorifying that Jesus has in mind here is the cross. It's the cross. So in going to the cross, he, Jesus, and the Father will be glorified, will be exalted and honored. So essentially, Jesus is praying, take me all the way to the cross for my exaltation and for your exaltation, Father. But how do we know it's the cross? Well, this is exactly where we are in this gospel, isn't it? I mean, this is the whole context of Jesus' prayer here in John 17 is the cross is right there. The dam is about to break in the waters of suffering, of reviling, of insults, of betrayal, of God's wrath. They will come and they will crush him. Or even we see there in verse 1 when he says plainly, the hour has come. The hour has come. And so Jesus, he came to die for sinners, to die for those given him by the Father. Verse 2, and then Jesus has done all that the Father has told him to do and to say he was faithful, he was obedient, such that the work is as good as done. Verse 4, the work has been accomplished. Now, just see here too, you know, Jesus, he doesn't, he doesn't shy away from things that we might want to shy away from here in the church. And there's so many things like that. You know, we're just like, well, that, don't talk about that doctrine or this doctrine and, and these things. And, and yet, I just want to encourage us when it comes to the Bible, let's try to not like avoid the Bible. What about, so let's be careful that we're not just kind of saying, I don't want to listen to that doctrine because, you know, I just, I'm not comfortable with that. When the Bible is setting it forth, presenting it and saying, God, by the Holy, the Holy Spirit of God is saying, I want you to know this. Amen. And so we, we can't do that. We're under obligation before God not to do that. With that kind of caveat, then what do I mean? Well, he says, with the authority given him by the Father, Jesus, he gives eternal life to all whom the Father has given him. Verse 2. What does that mean? Well, he's talking here about God's sovereignty. God's sovereign choosing and even the doctrine of election. Now, many of you just heard a curse word, I think. Right? Now, that word is actually from the Bible. <laughs> the elect. So, if you have a problem with that word, 
it's something we all are required to believe. In the, in the Baptist faith and message, it says you believe that doctrine if you affirm it. Well, why? Because the Bible teaches it. Amen. Now, before you kind of throw a shoe at me, I know you have your shoes ready. They're right, they're right there in your hand, right? I see some of you. No, I'm just kidding. Let's just, let's just not avoid what God says. You know, let's just say we're not going to avoid what he says. And so just see it there in that verse. And then, really, we've kind of seen this throughout the Gospel of John too. This isn't the first time. So let's, let's look way back in John 6, 37 through 40. Jesus, he said there, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Praise God. And, And as I said then in that sermon, I'll say again here now, we see both aspects. We see God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. You need to respond by faith to Jesus Christ or you will not be saved. So we see both. No conflict from God's perspective, which is what matters most. (laughs) And then again, Jesus says in, in John 10, 27 through 29, he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me, the sheep, is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, hopefully with all your tomatoes and shoes packed away, you know, what, what should be a response to this, you know? The first response is not like, like fists raised and shoes in hand. You know, that's not the first response. We actually know what the first response is. And the first response is given us by Paul in Ephesians chapter 1. Well, what does it say there? Let me read it for you. Ephesians 1, 3 through 5, he says, Beginning the letter, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So whatever your response is, that is surely the first one. And what is that response? It's worship. He just praises God. Thank you for choosing. Thank you for predestining to life. So we're to rejoice at God's mercy that He would save anybody. He did not have to. He is under no obligation whatsoever. He's not being pressed by anybody. It was solely His free grace. With Paul, we just... Thank you, Lord. In love, you did that. I'm not worthy, but you did that. 
And so we just give all glory to God and rejoice in Him. Praise the Lord. Amen. And the eternal life that we have through faith in Jesus Christ. Now here, though, is where we kind of see this next part. And we see that this, this knowing it is not optional. Verse 3. Now what do I mean by that? Well, let me just read verse 3 and, and says again, so and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So what I mean is, is in order to know God, you need to know God. I know it. Yeah, it's deep, right? You didn't see that yet, did you? <laughs> well, yeah, that, that's, that's right. You need to know God in order to have eternal life. Yet, here, the sort of knowing Jesus is talking about here, it, it's not kind of this dry, kind of dead, desert sort of knowing. It's not like a lifeless, you know, no water, there's nothing going on there kind of life. This is knowing that is abundant and living and fruitful in John 15. And so here he's not pitting like knowledge, like facts and relationship against each other. It's both. But knowing by itself is not enough. Let me just say it again. Knowing by itself is not enough. Enough. You grow up in church. You learn all the doctrines. You know it. But that by itself is not enough. Just the facts, ma'am, is not okay. You will never know God that way. You need to know who He is. You need to know what He's done. You need to know His Son and that He sent Him and that He was buried and He rose again, dying on the cross. You need to know all those things. But merely knowing about Jesus, knowing about God, knowing what salvation is, knowing even how someone is saved is not enough. You know, I remember once talking to someone and he said many people, they'll miss salvation by six inches. And maybe you've heard this too. What's the six inches? The distance between the head and the heart, right? I mean, that's a massive distance. If it's not gapped, you don't know God. It's not just the one, the head. I mean, so let's test this. Is this true? So is knowledge enough, is knowledge alone enough to save you? Well, guess who has a ton of knowledge about God? The demons do. They know more than you do. Yet what's the problem? No relationship. No heart. They don't love God. They don't have faith in God. James, he says, you believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and shudder. Well, good job. You can join the demons on that day with all the facts you have and without the relationship. You need both. Amen. We kind of know this practically as well. I mean, who are those closest to us? Is it just facts? <laughs> you know, 
Are those the people who, who are your like best friends or your, your spouses? Just facts. That's all they know. No. My goodness, no. No. I mean, those we are closest to, they know us and we know them, right? You know, I heard recently about how we actually kind of store our memories in the minds of other people, in the minds of those that we're closest to. And if you just think about it a little bit, that makes total sense. You know, often when Megan and I, you know, we're talking with people, you know, I rely on her to remember all kinds of things. And you, you could just testify to that right now. <laughs> you know, my memory is in her mind, like, of our life, of our children, of all kinds of things that have happened in our lives, and vice versa. There are things in, in my memory that she's trusting that's here in me that I'm remembering about things going on, you know, that we've done and everything else. Why? Why is that happening? Well, it's because we really know each other. We, we love each other. We trust each other. It's not just the facts, ma'am. You know, and we can also communicate without a word, right? I mean, those people, even if it's not your spouse, you know someone real well, you can do that, right? You know what I'm talking about? You know, if I gave her a certain look, she would know, oh, yeah, you know, or if she gives me a look, oh, you know, or whatever, you know. <laughs> oh, no, what's going on? Um, or whatever, but you know what I'm talking about. That's right. Megan really doesn't, just in to her defense, she doesn't really have that evil eye. So I haven't seen it necessarily except for, yeah, there it is. So. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, so why do we, how can we do that? Why can we do that? It's because we know each other, right? I mean, she knows me better than anyone else, and I know her. It's not just facts, it's relationship. Well, this is the kind of knowing we have when we know God through Christ. It's knowing and knowing. <laughs> you know, facts, relationship, knowing the true God through Jesus Christ. And that's eternal life. That's eternal life. This is what he's saying. Life is in knowing God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's where life is. And again, this makes sense. Just think back in Genesis chapter 3. When we sinned against God, what happened? We died. You spiritually died at that moment and you would physically die later. You died. Life was taken away from you because you sinned against the living God. Because you ceased knowing God in truth. Not just facts. We died when our relationship with Him was severed. So knowing Him is eternal life. And knowing Him is not optional. So if you don't know Him this morning, you do not have life. Hear it plainly, you are dead because he is the only one who can give you life. Amen. This is eternal life. The kind of life he's offering to you is this real, you can have it truly kind of life. And so the right question is, is do you know him? Not just in the head sort of way, but both head and heart. So in view of all of this, you know, Jesus' prayer 
centrality of the cross and knowing God, what then should we do with all this? Well, first, ponder the unswerving devotion of Christ. Ponder the unswerving devotion of Christ. So Jesus, he, he prayed. He prayed that he would go to the cross. He longed that he would be glorified in the cross, and he longed for the Father to be glorified also. So in other words, he prayed in total submission to God, to the Father. And his prayer was answered. His prayer was answered. You want your prayers answered? Everything, I want whatever you will, God. was unswervingly devoted to the Father. And that's the kind of devotion you and I are to have. And so, then second, emulate the unswerving devotion of Christ. So follow his example. When you become a Christian, you're saying you belong to Jesus. That's what you're doing. Every part of you and your life, every inch of it is, is his. It's not like kind of you have this section and this section. It's all of me, Lord, is yours. And this is, this is what baptism pictures. Now, hear me clearly. Baptism is not what saves you. But it's picturing that. It's picturing that whole life I'm all yours, God, kind of thing going on in your heart. And that happened in your heart already. So you were buried in the water, dead in your trespasses and sins. And then God graciously gave you life and you rose up out of the water. Alive. To walk in newness of life. And now you're his. And that's what, you're being, that's what you're declaring. It's a public declaration. When you come up here and you, you said, you're saying, I belong to Jesus. My whole life, my aspirations, my dreams, everything. These lips are his. This body is his. This job is his. This house is his. This car is his. This family is his. All of it. That's what you said when you put your faith in Christ. Thank him. Praise the Lord. He saves us. He is worthy of all our life. And that is not a burden. It's treasure and eternal life. So then, third, in view of these things, until the end, unswervingly believe in him to whom all your devotion is due. So, Jesus, he did that. He He glorified God the Father until the very last drop of his blood. Yeah, you'll sin. Yes, you'll do all that, but just let him have all of those things, sins and all of your life to his glory until you go and be with him forever. Just believe. Faith. You won't understand the wonders of all these things without faith. So in all this then, though, as we 
see these wonders in this prayer, we see here our incomparable God. Our incomparable God, verse 5. And really in verse 5, Jesus is kind of repeating many things that he said in verse 1. The way that he will be glorified and will be with the Father again is through the cross. Not that he lost his divinity or anything else like that. I mean, the Son is still the Son and that never ceased. All very weighty things. The person of Christ, God, man. He never ceased being God in the incarnation. And so here we see that this glory was a glory that was before time. And so we see the intimate and eternal relationship within the Godhead itself. So this, this glory, the Father and the Son they knew and enjoyed, it has always been. It's hard to fathom, isn't it? Before there was time, God was enjoying himself. <laughs> before any of us, before angels, before anything created, he was happy in himself. And he still is. <laughs> that hasn't stopped before even one thing came into being, there was the triune God internally enjoying himself. He was not lacking in anything. He wasn't lonely. And he wasn't alone. And if anyone tells you that, they don't, they're not understanding the aseity of God. He's self-sufficient. He needs nothing, no one. Amen. Doesn't need us, which makes his love all the more incredible. He's happy in himself. And as Augustine said, to reach God is to reach happiness himself. So here is joy itself. Here is happiness itself. Here is life itself. The triune and the living God. And so then, incredibly, we get to say in view of these things, if you know Jesus, you also will be with God forever. That God, the God who is joy and happiness itself and life itself. And so it says in Revelation 22, 3 through 5, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more and they will need no light of sun, lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. You will enter into the enjoyment, enter into that enjoyment for all eternity. It will be life in the fullest sense and it won't be boring. You're not going to be up there kind of strumming a harp on a cloud. If that's your vision of heaven, man, that doesn't sound great. You know, I mean, eternal years and many millennia and go on and on and on and decades and so on and so on and centuries. And oh, you're just strumming that harp, man. No. Look at the things that God has given here. And you'll know something of the enjoyment we'll have in heaven. Except there'll be no more brokenness or sin or sorrow or evil. Praise the Lord. 
you will know joy unhindered. No one's going to take it away, like Jesus said earlier. And you will work, I think you will work in heaven to the glory of God without even thinking for a moment, this is terrible. Work was before the fall. Genesis 2, it's not a bad thing. We'll be working to the glory of God. So what a joy we will have without a neota of sin or brokenness or evil. It's as the Puritan George Swinnick, he says it so wonderfully. He says, oh, what, what a reason to triumph in our happiness. The infinite God is ours. Perhaps we are without honors, without friends, without family, without liberty, without peace and health or strength. But God is ours. He is more than all those things. And He is ours. Our estate is not ours. Neither is our family. Our body is not ours. Neither is our soul. But God is ours. He is our exceeding, eternal, everlasting joy. So in view of such wonderful, glorious things, in view of such a weighty and wonderful prayer, in view of such a cross, before the incomparable God, may you believe and emulate Christ to the glory of God until he takes you home. How many reasons, saints, go and just say, my life is yours. You can lead me anywhere. You can have me do anything and I will obey you. Imperfectly, yes, but Christ is mine and his righteousness is mine also. Let's pray. Father, we come this morning and just pray and just, I pray we're just overwhelmed right now even. I hope and I pray that we're just leaving and even thinking now just in wonder of you. I think this is where we ought to be as we begin this high priestly prayer. In wonder at the, our Savior as he lifts his eyes. As he prays, Father. As he prays in view of the cross as we look at this prayer and know that we will be joining our great God forever in eternity. We have that eternal life if we know Christ. I pray this morning if there's anyone here who doesn't have life, they may look to Christ by faith and believe and repent turning away from sin and self and turning to Christ and giving him their life and believing. So help us, Lord, and as we, we sing of the sure and steady anchor Christ is, may we respond and exalt you. May we even now respond by saying, maybe you have been saying someone here needs to be doing something they have not been obeying you in this. Or perhaps they've been sinning and been hiding it under a rug, saying, well, I'll just hide it from everyone, and no one will know, and it'll be just fine. 
Well, you know, and you're calling them even this morning to repent and to throw off the dung and the trash of sin and receive the treasure of Christ evermore. And so may we respond this morning. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.